first elected in 2018. I am a married mom of two kids under 10. If I am fortunate enough to be reelected for another term, I will be the only mom of kids under 10 in all of our state Senate. Um, and so that representation to me, and I've heard from, from droves of other moms, um, really matters and really does make a difference. So Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local FM dial for Franklin Mass at 102.9. Here we've got a special session today with Senator Becca Rausch. Senator, good morning and happy Monday to you. Good morning to you, my friend. It's great to be with you. Indeed. Well, a little bit cool yesterday as we met at the harvest festival on main street but you know other than the breeze it was a good turnout yes it it felt a little bit like i was in my kids you know winnie the pooh and the blustery day storybook Uh, (laughs) so um so we didn't we didn't have any balloons flying anywhere which is of course better for the environment but we definitely had a a windy day but it was a terrific day it was so fantastic to see everybody out and about um and, you know, just enjoying each other as as fellow community members. And, you know, we're all so deeply connected and invested in Franklin. It's been such a privilege to represent Franklin for these last several years as your state senator, um, partnering with your state rep, Jeff Roy, and and all of the folks in local government and um, and local leaders in the town. You know, Franklin has such heart and soul. And I think you see that, or at least I see that every time um, when we come to the Harvest Festival, when we come to the Strawberry Stroll, when we're in community with everyone, you know, for all these local celebrations, the Cultural Festival, which I was so pleased to be able to mm-hmm. support the state funding this year, um, and you know, and so many other wonderful things that happen in the town of Franklin, and it's been a real joy and honor to um, not just attend, but also to uplift all of those uh, great things that the folks in Franklin are, are doing and leading. It's been rather busy. I helped to do some of the community calendar and the calendar now, especially post COVID. Although I'm not, I hesitate to say it's post. It's certainly in this new normal kind of figuring out what's going on because we also know it's still here. Um, And some people are still getting it. Um, That's fine, but that's, we'll get into the public health side of that. But yeah, as we're navigating this new piece, certainly there is an awful lot going on in Franklin and there's nothing wrong with that part. So it's it's really so good. fun. It's totally it is, fun. It is. There's always something happening uh, with the local businesses as well, in which I might, since I mentioned that, you had your uh, business forum recently, right? Yes. One of the um, innovations that my team and I have um, spurred and, and led on is creating a small business advisory council. So we've got a couple of, of small business owners from Franklin on the council. Um, it, the council is comprised of 12 small business owners and leaders throughout the district in various different parts, various different businesses. Um, the, you know, one, the big thing that they have in common is that their businesses are small. Um, and so, uh, you know, we all know that small businesses took a big hit during the peak of COVID. Um, I like to say we're, we're past, I think the peak of COVID though, as mm-hmm. you know, we still have COVID with us, unfortunately. Um, and you know, this is sort of my approach to to leading in the Senate and to serving in this capacity is to create spaces and meaningful spaces to 
listen to the people who are facing particular challenges or struggles and take their input and insights and feedback and um, and critiques and say, okay, what what can I do um, in my role, in my lane as your state senator, as a member of our legislature um, in the Commonwealth to deliver real results that are going to make a difference to making that particular you know, pressure point a little bit easier and hopefully a little bit less expensive. So, mm. um, so, you know, we formed this small business advisory council. We've had, we meet quarterly. We've had three meetings. We just had an, an in-person meeting, um, right, right nearby Franklin in the town of Plainville, um, last week or perhaps the week before. At this Time's point. moving along, you know, things. So what is time anyway? <laughs> um, and it was terrific. It was a terrific meeting. Um, the Senate chair of Ways and Means was with us. So that is a, a particularly important person in the scheme of our government. Um, you know, everything that has to do with funding that mm-hmm. has the fiscal impact at all um, in terms of legislation or or direct funding, policy, what have you, all goes through the, the Ways and Means Committee. Um, and so the chair of Ways and Means uh, Senator Mike Rodriguez was with us. So we had direct communication between the business owners in our district and, you know, the the guy who's sitting at the table making those decisions, you know, as as that legislation is getting um, formed and crafted just before it comes to the floor and throughout our debates. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a huge difference. And in fact, um, some of that feedback that we've already um, received from our small business advisory council, um, we've already been able to turn into um, legislation that has passed. And that is a really big deal. <laughs> so, yes. um, you know, it's just part and parcel of, of delivering these real results that really matter, which has been my, you know, mode of operating since, well, frankly, since before I was even elected. Um, but certainly since I've had the pleasure and privilege of serving in this role. Mm-hmm. So let me pick up on a couple of points there because uh, mindful as well, we're, we're doing this, we're both, I'm Franklin and Franklin matters, but your district is more than Franklin. Um, and for those who f- within your district are now finding out, oh, this Becca Roush, what is she doing? <laughs> Just give a little, you know, highlight in terms of what, what brought you here, how you're doing this, and then we can go from there because there's sure. many other things we can talk about too. Yes. I know we could talk for hours, my friend, and I would so enjoy that. Um so again, my name is Becca Roush. I am the state senator. I was first elected in 2018. I am a married mom of two kids under 10. If I am fortunate enough to be reelected for another term, I will be the only mom of kids under 10 in all of our state Senate. Um, and so that representation to me, and I've heard from, from droves of other moms, um, really matters and really does make a difference. Um, I'm an attorney by training. I never, ever, ever planned to go into electoral politics. Um, I am Jewish and I am the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor. Um, and I experienced some very direct anti-Semitism in my youth. And so that those moments, and particularly one moment, really kind of set me on a path to doing social good and making positive change in our communities. But I always thought that I was going to be doing that as a lawyer, as a practicing lawyer. And Never thought that I would be doing it as an elected official. Um, but after a lot of people encouraged me to run for the Senate now several years ago, um, they said, you know, you've got some life experience and some professional experience that we think could do some good in the world. And and lo and behold, they were right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I I um I got into this again, not because I wanted to be a politician or because I wanted, you know, power or prestige or 
or anything else, but just because I wanted to put my experiences and expertise to use, um, my passion and my dedication and my energy to use, to do some good in the world and, you know, to make life a little bit better, a little bit easier, a little bit fairer, a little Mm -hmm. bit equitable and, and hopefully a little bit less expensive, um, you know, for people all throughout our communities. And, and we've been able to do that time and time and time again in, in frankly, a very short amount of time, especially when you overlay COVID on top of it. Right. Um, so, you know, loads and loads and loads of victories, um, you know, multiple millions of dollars brought back. In fact, this term alone, um, I brought back over $25 million for local special projects all throughout the district. And that's, um, in addition to the hundreds of millions of dollars in general aid and education and other infrastructure um, that, you know, that state dollars are put toward in our communities. And, um, and that's why I'm running for reelection to continue delivering these real results that really matter on everything from reproductive health and mental health to voting rights and climate action and small businesses, local economies, helping working families get back on their feet. Um, Public education was just able to help one of the communities in our district uh, finally get over the hump into tuition-free full-day kindergarten for every family in that mm-hmm. town, which has never happened before. Um, and for you know, that community, yeah, yeah. When the folks in the school committee called me up and they said, "Senator Roush, we're really close. So we just we can't get there on our own. Can you help us?" And I said, "Let's figure out a way to get to yes on this." Mm-hmm. And um, and lo and behold, we did. We got right. every last dime that they needed. Um, And also, you know, one of the things that has been really deeply important to me as a as a person, as a lawyer, as a professional, as a mom, um, and certainly as an elected is to um, lead with integrity and honesty and uh, to improve transparency and accountability in our government. And I have been able to do very proudly all of those things um, as I continue to serve in office. Um, So that's a little bit about me. The district (laughs) does. Is Franklin is is a, a you know a, a sort of geographically central place in the district, um, but there are eleven towns in the district after our recent redistricting process, um, and they are Needham, Dover, Sherburne, Medfield, Millis, Norfolk, Rentham, Plainville, Franklin, Bellingham, and Milford. Um, so we have eleven towns. All of the people in all of those 11 towns are in, we are all in the same Senate district. And I very much hope to continue serving as the state senator to lift up our people, lift up our businesses, lift up our local economies, um, not just secure and protect, but also advance reproductive health care, access and equity, um, and continue to make so many positive changes. So a couple of little points that we can dig a little bit deeper in. Being mindful of your time, I'd love to spend hours and hours with you, but I know you've got a big schedule, so <laughs> we'll also spare the listeners for hours and hours. If they want, they can certainly vote and come back and say, we want to do more. We'll do more. That's fine. I'd be we'll happy just, to. We'll give them chunks. Um, so, yeah, quick point on the election piece. So your district, we used to have a couple of precincts that were Senator Spilka. And mm-hmm. now you've got that entire piece. So people may finally notice, in addition to for Franklin specific, we have now gone to nine precincts because of the redistricting based on the uh, 2020 census data. And yep. then as part of that result as well, we 
quote, lost Senator Spicker. Oh, we didn't really. I mean, she's still our state Senate president, but yep. she's no longer directly tied to us. And you have that entire piece. Um, I am so that thrilled went- to thrilled to have it. And, you know, and um, Senator Spilka and Representative Jeff Roy or, you know, Mr. Franklin, um, you know, we have all three of us worked together as a very tight knit team over the last several years. And um, and and Representative Roy and I, Jeff, um, Jeff and I are real tight. We spent, you know, spent time together yesterday. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we talk very frequently and, and frankly, that's how we, that's how we get so many good things done. Sure. Um, right. We work together as a team. Um, I'm very, very honored to have his endorsement for reelection, as well as the endorsement of every member of your town council, every member of your school committee, uh, members of your planning board, and and many local leaders in the town of Franklin, and and I believe I've earned those endorsements because they know that I am in this work to collaborate and um, to listen and to deliver, and and that's what our towns need, right? And mm-hmm. you know, and and we've done that, not just not just me, but you know, personally, but also my staff. You know, my, my uh, member of my state house team, who's my director of internal external relations, um, you know, she meets monthly with. Uh, Jamie Helen at your, you know, town, town headquarters, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, sure. right at, at town hall and, you know, who makes all sorts of good stuff happen in the town of Franklin. And that's how we have our, you know, we know what's going on in, in every corner of our district, um, you know, at any given moment. And that's also why when opportunities arise on Beacon Hill for us to get some additional funding or perhaps take advantage of a new opportunity, we are ready to go. As soon as that happens, you know, as soon as those opportunities arise, um, we know which communities to be able to plug into those um, to those opportunities as mm-hmm. they come. And for the listeners, uh, some perspective as well. They may recall, and for those that were newer to the community, they may not recall because they weren't here at the time. But it was uh, when we came into Franklin twenty five plus years ago. The state had been giving grants at that time as part of the DESE program to expand kindergarten. So that was one thing that Franklin took advantage of. My wife in particular has started teaching kindergarten as part of that. She had AIDS, et cetera. Then over time, of course, the state funding declined as things were getting established, which I understand from that point of view. Um, But the requirements of having appropriate and developmentally appropriate education, specifically at the early grades, um, really require multiple adults in the classroom. Because if you can imagine, and you've had little kids, you know, 20 little ones, five years old, trying to get the new routines down when, you know, you've got to do an assessment, which requires one-on-one for a teacher or educated professional with an individual well, what's the other 19 doing? <laughs> right, right. right. There wow. needs to be some, <laughs> there needs to be some time management there or recognition that, you know, things are an issue. Um, so education certainly has been a key point. It's more than half the Franklin budget. Um, we've made some gains, at least in terms of the Student Opportunity Act, mm-hmm. uh, that re-justifying the funding formula which also left Franklin somewhat behind because we were already getting more than we were entitled to, according to the recent calculations. So we're still benefiting at least from the special ed circuit breaker Mm -hmm. and transportation. um, And and that's all well and good. Uh, 
heaven forbid we were not held whole, we would be in a different financial status. Um, yeah. And Franklin's going to have to realize that we're going to have to start paying our way in order to get out of that, you know, net deficit. I mean, we're benefiting from the state money. It's all our money anyway. It's just coming back to us. But yeah, we have to recognize that education certainly is a priority, um, but we also need to pay for it. Yep, absolutely. And, and you know, and that's what Jeff and I are here for, right? To help help the town in every way that we possibly can. Um, the Student Opportunity Act, as you mentioned, was you know groundbreaking, um, frankly, game-changing legislation to deliver a more equitable education system in our state. Um, I've also led efforts on and you know and and supported and championed many efforts to focus on early education and pre-K, tuition-free kindergarten. Um, and just this last term, we passed the Genocide Education Act. Um, you know, it's one of the things that as uh, as the first Jewish person ever elected to represent this district in the Senate, um, it's, you know, and the granddaughter of a survivor, mm-hmm. um, making sure that we pass that bill, um, which actually Jeff Roy, we had sponsored in the House, right. um, was was a, you know, a significant priority. Um, and Franklin certainly has been no stranger to um identity-based hatred and bias and bigotry. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm there every time, um, not only to speak up and speak out and, um, stand in solidarity, um, with whomever may have been the target in that particular moment, um, alongside droves of, you know, Franklin residents who are coming out also to show love and support and, camaraderie and community, um, but also to deliver again from, from the, from the state side, you know, uh, we, we got thousands of dollars to, uh, help develop and implement anti-bias curriculum in the Franklin public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's again, another one of those real results that really matter, right? The annual cultural festival that you've now yes. had two of, uh, you know, I secured $10,000 to support the cultural festival this time around. And that also builds, community and understanding and um, compassion among people and breaks down those those barriers that are dividing us apart, which which are so, um, you know, disappointing, because the more I do this work, the more I find that nine times out of 10 or maybe even 99 times out of 100, the things that unite us are much stronger and more numerous mm. than the divide us. Nice. Um, and so, you know, we. We continue to do this work, um, you know, and and uh, and continue to partner and and continue to to you know really really deliver to really deliver. As we 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 need to get beyond kind of the sound bite sound bites and the tags that you know demean the other. There is no other. It's all us. Um, and there are so much more of us that are so much more of that we have in common with each other than the differences that you've acknowledged that, um, yeah. And one of the other pieces I know you had, and it's somewhat tangentially related in that sense, but the overall mental health and the health system approach and innovations, not so much innovations, but improvements clearly coming out of COVID. I think in one of our prior ones, we talked about the state did have a plan prior administration, just kind of tossed it aside and kind of 
wheeled and dealed through the COVID situation, but now it seems like there's funding and an emphasis on kind of rebuilding that public health infrastructure because something will come after COVID and we're not quite ready for it, I don't think. Monkeypox, right? I mean, it's here now. So yes, our, our public health infrastructure in Massachusetts is not unique, sadly, in this in this mm. uh, circumstance, but um Public health infrastructure has been drastically underfunded for a really, really, really long time. Um, and that's why that's why we weren't ready when when COVID hit and why we didn't have um, so many things in place that if we had had those infrastructure components in place, um, I believe we would have been in a much better state. I'm sure we all remember the disaster that was, you know, signing up to get your COVID vaccine and all the rest of it. Um, there is some funding in, in place now um, and there is much more to secure and much more work to do um, and really strengthening that public health infrastructure. You know, I'm a former healthcare attorney by training and profession. Um, so I bring a wealth of knowledge into this role. Um, I've served every term in, on the public health committee um, and have worked very closely with the chair of that committee um, to, to advance legislation that is going to make a meaningful difference in promoting the health of our communities. And, you know, public health is one of those things that, um, people don't see until you see it breaking. Right. And, you know, and at the onset of COVID, people said, what are we going to do about businesses? And I said, you got to get a handle on the pandemic. The whole reason mm -hmm. that businesses were hit hard and working families were hit hard was because, because people were afraid to go into businesses because they were, they were nervous about getting COVID and, you know, and we had and the schools all closed because of COVID, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, get things right. back to, right. you know, even the sort of semblance of normal and that we do have now, right? The way you do that is you get a handle on, on public health. Um, and I also, as a parent, think it's really important, um, and I hear this from a lot of other parents as well, to be able to know and make good choices about where we're sending our kids um, and what the, you know, what the public health um, situation is in mm -hmm. in uh, schools and daycares and summer camps and other things like that. So I continue to work on that as well. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and public health is just one of the many things that we've seen in the last several years that have kind of come to a come to a head or had a spotlight kind of shown on them. Um, mental health, as you mentioned, is another one. Um, we certainly saw mental health impacts of COVID on our healthcare providers. Right. Um, I actually um, teamed up with with some folks, um, but and led in the legislature to secure one and a half million dollars to um, provide post traumatic stress care for medical personnel, um, and and provide it asynchronously so that you know and so that people can access it from wherever. Mm -hmm. You know, I've also. Um, created also through partnership, um, also from listening to young people in our district. It's one of those, you know, revolutionized uh, constituent services pieces that we came up with and have implemented successfully um, as a youth legislative town hall. A bunch of adults tried to come in and we said, nope, you're not allowed. <laughs> this is just for the teens, just the just youth. The teens. Um, we call it students speak. We do it remotely, uh, right? Because yep. we've learned how to do things by video conference so effectively and efficiently now. Um, and they spoke very clearly about how they needed different, better, confidential mental health support. And within a matter of weeks, not even months, but weeks, I had secured a quarter million dollars to um, fund the first ever state-supported 
youth mental health or state sponsored really youth mental health support text line mm-hmm. uh, is fully anonymous. It is fully confidential. That pilot program was up and running um, just a few months after the funding came through. And then a few months after that, it had already seen so much phenomenal success in helping young people and saving lives um, that I was able to secure the full state sponsorship of a million dollars. And that uh, youth mental health support text line is called Hey Sam. It's run by Samaritans. Um, It is, you know, there's a trained young person. In fact, right now, as we're recording this, um, there is a young person waiting if anybody needs to talk about anything from a, you know, a stressful test to a fight with your parent or Mm -hmm. wake up with your, you know, with your intimate partner whatever it is, college applications, right? We're in that time of year. Sure. Whatever it is, um, there's somebody there to listen. It is totally anonymous. It is totally confidential. It is completely free. And there's another young person just waiting on the other line and on the other side of a text to chat. So anybody who's out there who's listening, who might be going through a tough moment, you can text, Hey Sam, right now. And, you know, as 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 I continue to hear from, from adults who are con- teachers and parents and administrators and social workers who are you know so concerned about particularly the youth mental health crisis mm-hmm. you know, the overlying overlaying i should say um sentiment is that the best way that we solve the youth mental health hospital bed situ- you know crisis is to not have kids land in those beds in the first place right and hey sam is a huge component of that and yeah. i'm so proud that you know, that our my legislative work and my partnership with providers in the field um, has been able to save lives directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, we have uh, an ever increasing focus on reproductive health care, which has been um, an issue that I've championed uh, since before I set foot in the Senate. And certainly since I've set foot in the Senate, I led legislation to create um, and stand up a mental uh, maternal health equity commission. Um, I've passed legislation to combat crisis pregnancy centers also known as fake women's health centers. These are actually anti-choice propaganda machines um, that are quite dangerous. Um, last term, I championed the Roe Act, which was the, the big piece of legislation that we passed um, by overriding the governor's veto, not once, but twice. Yes. Uh, and that, that law um, is actually the reason that when Roe was overturned a few months ago, people in Massachusetts had really any access to reproductive health care at all. Mm -hmm. Um, only by virtue of that law that we were okay here in Massachusetts. Um, And that actually is a pretty stark difference between me and my opponent. Um, My opponent voted against the Roe Act every single time it came to the floor and has since co-sponsored legislation to gut all of its central provisions. Um, I, on the other hand, championed the Roe Act um, and I actually personally proposed or crafted multiple components of the recently enacted Reproductive Health Protection Act um, including creating personal individualized reproductive rights, which we did not have before. That's a policy that I've been filing since the day I set foot in the door, um, addressing reproductive health care deserts all throughout the state. Those are areas where people would have to travel more than 50 miles to find a health care provider. Um, and also crafting some really nuanced legal structures that served as a basis, a, a pillar for the compromise Um, between the House version of the bill and the Senate version of the bill that enabled us to send something to the governor's desk and and get that bill signed into law. 
Um, so, you know, for all of those reasons, um, I, I'm very proud to have earned uh, the endorsement of Reproductive Equity Now and Planned Parenthood and Emily's List on the national scale. So mm-hmm. we've had a lot of work done and a lot of work still to do on reproductive health care. Yeah, it's just the leg- just because the legislation has been passed, to your point, there is still work that re- is required ongoing because, of, un- unfortunately, given the winds around us as well, um, not just meaning the hurricane winds, <laughs> the, <laughs> the other political winds around us as well, the, the efforts are still there. Um, but I think that also speaks to some of your emphasis, if I may, in regards to the definition and addressing you know, public health clearly needs to treat individuals, but the individual rights also have to be adjusted to a certain extent in order to make public health work. Um, because if if we don't, if we're just totally individuals, we're that's a different world. And we really won't have public health and be able to go out and do the things we need to do. Well, you know, uh, we live in communities, right? We live in communities for a reason. We we have pretty starkly seen that we either rise together or we fall together. And um, and and when we fall together, we also fall apart. And uh, and that's, you know, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to bring folks together and and um, you know and and bring people together and build the structures and and fortify their existing structures and and you know create the new. Um, pieces that we need to continue to uplift and and uh, strengthen our communities. I think the other key topic uh, that you have some input in as well is now the institutionalization of those additional voting pieces. So the vote by mail, the early voting, yeah. coincidentally, is coming up again in November, which is one of the reasons why we're having this conversation. Um, but <laughs> that that I think the and even some of the reporting even out of the state you know half the people who voted in the primary voted either early or vote by mail and the other half voted on the day yeah there's nothing wrong with that we in franklin alone we saw a greater participation in a state primary which is generally a quiet one and respectfully that'll vary from time to time depending upon the the races and the candidate <laughs> competitions etc which is all normal but to the extent that we had that much more, I think just proves the point that making it accessible, making it easy to do, people will do it. Right. Um, I was very proud to be the author of the 2020 Vote by Mail Act um, and the author of the 2022 Mail-In Voting Act and uh, you know, to be one of the champions um, really pushing for um, voting access and election reform to make sure that people who are eligible to vote can actually vote. Uh, you know, I once missed, almost missed, I didn't actually miss it, but I almost missed being able to vote because um, the T that I was on got stuck, right? And <clears> just like, what a lousy reason. right? We spend a lot more time talking about transportation. But, um, yeah, and in fact, we've, we've done some work on transportation specifically in Franklin um, with regard to the commuter rail station between the funding that I've secured and the funding that Jeff secured um, we've gotten to $5 million in state funds to support um, finally upgrading that commuter rail station right in the heart of Franklin. And that is a huge deal. Yes, um, yes. And it's going to make such a significant impact on the positive impact on the community. But, uh, you know, you need to be able to vote. It's the most fundamental thing in our democracy. Um, so early voting, we now have 
mail-in voting, which will start actually in a matter of days, even before October. Mm -hmm. uh, before October is over before we get to November. Um, and then there will also be um, early in-person voting and of course, voting in person on election day. Um, and we've seen people take advantage of all three of those options. Um, largely either at this point, people are seem to be um, either voting by mail or uh, voting in person on election day itself. Um, so we'll see, you know, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how the numbers kind of come out after this mm -hmm. election, um, you know, to see how many people are choosing which method of voting. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's another thing that we're actually still really far behind a lot of other states on like uh, more than 20, I think other states in the country provide paid time off for voting, um, you know, up to two hours of paid time off. And, um, we don't do that. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. And I filed that it was not successful. Um, I filed an amendment to our voting package that would have created a, a set mandatory minimum of ballot drop boxes to voters. This was a huge access problem that we saw in 2020, just sure. to make sure you have en enough places to put your ballot in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? if you're right. using a mail-in ballot and maybe you're getting close to election day and you want to go and drop it off. Um, you know, this was a, a massive problem in a, not, not necessarily in Franklin, but, but in a lot of other places all sure. throughout the, the, uh, the Commonwealth. Um, and so I filed an amendment to make that happen. And, and unfortunately, that was not successful either. Um, and so we still have, you know, significant work to do. Um, and that's, you know, it's right in my wheelhouse. It's something I've been working on for a really long time. You know, we've pretty significant upgrades to be made to the central registry of voters um, and the, the sort of boring back end stuff that all the town clerks in the in the <laughs> state really care about. Mm -hmm. uh, so the rest of us don't actually see um, but, you know, even just recently, um, you know, we passed, I you know made sure to pass a provision that required an online portal for people to sign up to vote by mail. Um, and it was long past the deadline. And I wrote to the secretary of the Commonwealth a few times. Um, and eventually he did, in fact, implement that. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's again, that's the kind of leadership, right? That detail oriented leadership that, you know, is carefully crafted, nuanced um, and, uh, you know, and, and really delivering um, on the results, not just at the surface level, but digging deep. Uh, not necessarily the you know stuff you hear about on the front page of the paper um, or even, you know, even Steve in, in your work with Franklin Matters. Um, but, you know the pieces that actually make that make the results happen mm -hmm. uh, on the back end, on the front end and, and everywhere in between, right. um, you know, and, and that's what, that's what we've been able to do. And, and that's what I'm going to keep doing. Yeah. The process, the procedures, the policies, the infrastructure as a broad term, but it's also somewhat misused because it, in some cases it's roads and bridges. In some cases it's telecom connections. In some cases it's web pages. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, at least with the Secretary of the Commonwealth, now if you get a mail ballot application, you can also track it <laughs> online, yes, you which, you know, you should be able to do that. I mean, you order yeah, something from Amazon, you you get status things all along the way. <laughs> if you want, why not do that for something more important than the next package from Amazon? Yep. You know, where, totally. Where's your ballot? So. Yeah. And, and one of those other infrastructure pieces, pieces that I've been, you know, in addition to childcare, which I firmly believe is infrastructure, uh, right. And any parent who, or, or, business owner who was trying to make our way through COVID mm. 
we all know without doubt that childcare is infrastructure. Right. So we've got plenty more work to do on that. The Senate actually passed a pretty robust bill on it this past term, but the House never took it up. Um, but even another piece beyond that is climate. Yes. Um, right. And I serve as the chair of the environmental committee. Um, I, you know, we, it's not, and there's certainly an infrastructure component about say charging stations for electric vehicles mm-hmm. uh, you know, along our major roadways. Um, but even beyond that, you know, if, if we don't have clean air and clean water and a livable, breathable, you know, healthy planet, mm-hmm. we're sunk. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, so I have been working for quite a while to build up our climate action efforts. Um, and I'm very proud to have passed multiple pieces of legislation um, on that front, including combating carbon emissions from existing large buildings and really getting that those emissions down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I created the, the pilot program for the first ever statewide car seat recycling program. You know, any parent or grandparent out there knows or caregiver period knows just how much is involved with a car seat. Those are big things. Those are big um, things are, with multiple parts. <laughs> with multiple parts, and they can be recycled. But because we haven't previously had a car seat recycling program in the state, they just end up in a landfill. Sure. Um, unless you happen to catch, you know, a, a, a business target, for example, runs a you know a car seat recycling program like once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you happen to catch that just right, then maybe you can get your car seat recycled. Um, but you know, that's, that's a significant piece and, and plastics in general is a big area where we need to really focus on, um, plastic reduction and, um, and, you know, we, we know the, the harmful effects of plastics on our, on our planet, um, not just in, you know, plastic bags sort of floating around literally Mm -hmm. pieces of plastic yeah pieces of plastic microplastics are now in our bloodstreams yes um, which is which is you know kind of scary when you think about it Mm -hmm. also production of plastics relies on fossil fuels yeah Um, right so plastics like we gotta curb we gotta get our handle on plastics here Mm -hmm. um pieces that i have been working on converting our you know school buses from diesel to electric i started that process as well Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned before, we could talk for hours, and I'm sure we could because we've just touched on at least kind of three of the major items I think we've covered uh, in terms of at least education, health, and some of its aspects, and certainly voting. But sure. mindful of your time, is there anything else specifically that you need to uh, address to the folks listening today? You know, I just want to say thank you um, to everyone for all of your collaboration and your support over the years. We have been able to do such wondrous, amazing things together over the last uh, several years that I've been serving as your state senator. And I am so eager to continue doing that work in the term to come. Um, November 8th is Election Day. Um, so proud um, to have earned the support of so many folks and endorsements in particular um, from folks in Franklin. Um, again, everyone on the town council, everyone on the school committee, you know, your local leaders in Franklin um, have come out to say Becca is our choice um, to keep this wonderful collaboration going, to keep our team intact, to keep delivering the real results that really matter. Um, and I'm I'm so grateful to each and every person in Franklin who has endorsed me, to each and every person in Franklin who's, um, you know, who's working on the campaign and helping us out. Um, we've got just 
you know, less than 40 days to go. Um, and I'm also really, really honored to have earned the endorsement of, you know, every leading climate organization in the state, every teacher's organization in the state, every reproductive health organization in the state, you know, the nurses, if, you know, if you care, if you care about healthcare, I am your candidate. If you care about reproductive health equity and access, I am your candidate. If you care about climate, I am your candidate. If you care about education, I am your candidate. If you care about delivering real results that are really going to matter in your life and your kids' lives and their kids' lives, then I am your candidate. And I respectfully ask for your vote on or before November 8th. Well, thank you for taking time today. And for the listeners, I hope you got a little bit more information to help your vote on or before November 8th, however you choose. Um, and quick reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.